the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Rob Black and your money. And now, here's Rob Black. Good morning to you. And welcome in to Rob Black and your money. What is it? February 4th already? Could that be right? <laughs> wow. Uh, January went out quickly, but February came in pretty fast in my book. Anyway, we've got a good show for you planned today. Um, it's Friday. It's Aloha Friday. We don't have to work again until Monday. So keep that in mind. we got that going for us, which is nice. It's uh, a good day to give a phone call. 800-516-1220. 800-516-1220 if you want to give a phone call. And uh, uh, call in and uh, check in with your, your fellow mates, so to speak. Talk about anything that you want to talk about. Money-oriented college planning, investments. Who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl and why? Are you going to enjoy the Super Bowl? Has the Super Bowl lost its luster? Like I said, anything you want to talk about, we're more than welcome to talk about. We can make it short. We can make it long. We can talk theories. I can give you some of my best financial tips ever. Which, for the record, I'm going to be doing soon. Um, I'm doing a seminar type of event Money 101, Finances, Investing in Real Estate, Saturday, February 26th at the Tech Mart. And then uh, that's going to be 9 to noon. And then later that day from 1 to 3, I'm going to do a wealth preservation, retirement planning. So it's it's a good afternoon. And uh, I'll talk more about that next week for sure. But kind of want to throw that out there for you so you can start thinking about it and maybe putting it up on your calendars. So today we wake up, and the big headline is, Unemployment Falls to 9%, But Jobs Growth Disappoints. Hold on, did you hear that? Unemployment dropped to 9%, but jobs growth disappoints. 9%? How did we go from 9495 down to 9%? We'll talk about that. Oil, up to 91 buckaroos. Each protest continued to escalate. United States would be losing a potential ally or a long-term ally in the Middle East if, for some reason, it goes Islamic extremist. There's no evidence of that yet, but it's certainly looking like We Hate You America campaign going on on a regular basis on the nightly news. Verizon has halted the iPhone pre-sales after its best first day. That's pretty interesting, right? So what's that tell you about Apple. Yeah, yeah, they continue to go higher. Verizon Wireless ended online sales of its iPhone on Thursday evening after it said its most successful day of sales in the history of the company. The number one mobile operator said it ceased pre-orders at 8.10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time last night. Uh, they're trying to limit pre-orders. They want to make sure this doesn't down their network, right? 
couple things to think about here in particular is not only the shares of Apple and situations like that, but Verizon. Verizon and AT&T, a ferocious battle with each other in the world of wireless. Not so much as far as these are Mobile's companies that split up and here they are today kind of thing, but ferocious competition over the past. So who do I like more? And this is going to make you laugh when I say this, but this is like a mom being asked, who's her favorite son or who's her favorite child? And usually moms don't have answers for that, but I'm going to instantly tell you Verizon. I ain't playing around. AT&T's okay. But when I compare the two, I slightly like Verizon more. So I love the dividend at Verizon. And I also I know a little bit about Verizon's business model is slightly different than AT&T business model and what they're building with their data network. So I don't know if you're following me or not. There's some growth opportunities as Verizon's going to try to move everything digital and everything to their digital network faster than AT&T possibly can. And that speed should equal more profits. Margin expansion is what it's all about. I'm not going to talk a lot of margin expansion on the show because I think I'd lose you. Um, maybe if I were to get a, say, a 3 o'clock show in the afternoon, yeah, then maybe I'd be talking margin expansion. But uh, different shows, different times of the day have different shows, right? So the Dow's up 5 today. The Nasdaq's up 6 today. The S&P 500's up fractions today. 10-year Treasury bond sits at 3.59%. I would like to see the 10-year Treasury bond sit at 4.5%. That would push up mortgage rates another 1%, very likely. Not definitively, not, you know, cent for cent, move for move. But I'd like to see the 10-year Treasury at a healthier number. 3.5, 3.6 is pretty good. It's starting to get healthy. If we're to give it like a Rocky Balboa, where are you ready for the big fight with Clubber Lang? He's about a week away uh, in, in numerics. You know, he's not at fighting shape, not at a 9 or 10, maybe at a 6 but when we were at 2.5% and 2% and 3% on the 10-year treasury, we just weren't ready to fight. 3.6, we're getting there. We're really getting there as an economy. And that's what this is all about. Lending rates, competition, borrowing rates, uh, ability to pay back. So that's where we're at. So today, it's a noisy employment report. And there's a lot to consider other than just the employment report. So concerns about Egypt, we've shook off all week long. Realization that the U.S. economy is improving on our economic data, we've, we, we don't even pay attention to it. So there's some different views coming out about the Fed policy actions, though. This is probably worth chewing on for a couple minutes and thinking, you know, what exactly does this mean and why do I care? So a lot of market participants have concluded that it's better to ride Fed policy than it is to fight Fed policy. Have you ever heard the, the phrase... Um, don't fight the tape on Wall Street. Same kind of idea. So the S&P 500 is up 26% in the past five and a half months and up nearly 100% since March 2009. It's clear that most market participants have concluded that the Fed's doing the right thing or I'm going to stand behind the Fed and let go with the flow. So up 100% since March 2009. Don't you wish you, you learned how to go, let's invest in down markets? Don't you wish you knew, had the cojones and the steel gut 
to say this will work out. It's worked out over the last hundred years, every 10 year period. That's what I hope I pass on to you because I'm up 100% since March 2009. The accommodative policy has been rooted in the Fed's aim to achieve its mandate of fostering maximum employment and price stability. Our federal government, one of the, not our federal government, but our federal bankers, their job is to fight inflation, price stability, and maximum employment. Now, Fed Chairman Ben Bernanke in particular, he's not been convinced by incoming information that the Fed has met those objectives. He's acknowledged that things are getting better, but that progress on the labor market front has been too slow. And then in comes today's reports. Non-farm payrolls increased 36,000. Private sector payrolls increased 50,000. Both figures well below expectations of 148 and 163,000. Weather issues created a lot of variability in consensus forecast and a lot of noise around the actual report. So the Bureau of Labor Statistics indicated the weather kept 886,000 American workers from getting to work in the payroll week. Now, the January report showed some updated population estimates, and that explains how the unemployment rate dips from 9.4% to 9%, while the labor force participation rate was unchanged at 64.2%. So due to some updates in population, things didn't change dramatically for the end user. 64.2% participation rate in the economy. But statistically, it looks a heck of a lot better. So some specific blemishes on the January report. You want to hear specifics? Drop an average work week from 34.3 hours down to 34.2 hours. And 11,000 people decline in temporary help services. Now, neither of those numbers is supportive of the idea that it's a material pickup in full-time hiring is right around the corner. Manufacturing jobs lost 49,000. It's going to take some time for the market to digest these reports. While they're digesting, let's talk Green Bay Packers. Let's talk Super Bowl. Let's talk Coverdale IRA and 529 plans right after the break. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Dow down two, NASDAQ up one, S&P down slightly. I'm a man in the box. I wish I was a man in the box, if you know what I'm saying. And no, I don't even know if that's an innuendo or not. Maybe I'm not wishing I was a man in the box. Maybe that's a coffin. Maybe there's nothing Freudian about it at all. About motherhood, but interesting. Oh, it's Aloha Friday. We have the Super Bowl on Sunday. My heart's not in this. It is, it is. You're going to get a great show today. Uh, Dow's down three, NASDAQ up four, S&P 500 down fractions. Oil sitting at $91 a barrel. That's bullish for the economy. The employment report, it showed unemployment dropped to 9%, but job growth painfully slow. Participation rate didn't change an iota, and it was a change in the population of the United States that basically dropped the unemployment rate down. Hey, it's a great headline number. I ain't going to lie to you, but it's misleading as all heck. So it's one of those situations where, where statistics lie. If I were to tell you unemployment was going to drop from 9.4 down to 9%, you'd be happy. But if I were to tell you the participation rate in the economy didn't change a bit and actual work week hours went down, you'd be like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. So, okay, let's move forward with some of the data out there today. Uh, Coinstar, this is a company that makes those big red kiosks that are in the CVSs. 
It was a stock that it was one of my top stocks in 2010, and it was a great stock for 2010. I didn't include it in my stocks for 2011, a lot like I didn't include Netflix in my stocks for 2011. Sometimes the story is so wonderful. It's a story stock. It carries the stock higher, faster. Now, Coinstar, again, it's that big red kiosk that's in CVSs and Safeways. And you could rent movies. And there was a funness to it where you could rent a movie for a dollar a night and return it within 24 hours, and it was a dollar. And we all grew up in the world of Errols and Blockbusters and, and movie galleries where you know, you got it for like $4 a night, but then if you missed the 24-hour window or the 48-hour window, suddenly your fees were jacked up, and if you left it in your car for a few days, suddenly your fees went way up, and you rented a movie for 5 bucks, and it turns out to be you know, $35, and the movie wasn't that good to begin with, right? So there was a story behind Coinstar, and that story is kind of starting to wither away. The media companies are strangling it slowly. The 28-day window... Uh, basically from the time it's released in pay-per-view and so that other people can buy the net, the DVD. Uh, the studio has put a 28-day pause on the ability for Coinstar to get their movies. They Coinstar came up with this great idea. Let's charge 50 cents more for Blu-ray. People like me, I can't really tell the difference between DVD and Blu-ray. It doesn't mean that much to me if I can. Okay, so I could see a couple more shards of glass flying around, a little bit cuter, a little bit more clear, but who cares? So Coinstar also bought some underperforming DVDs during the quarter. It wasn't the hottest quarter to rent movies. So they expect comps to improve going forward, so it was a bad quarter. Uh, one analyst is lowering the price target to $60 from $70 due to execution that was poor. It's a story stock, and again, I'm not following it like I should, but I'm telling you, my angle on it, it's, it's starting to deflate quickly as the streaming of Netflix into your home and streaming of other movies into your home from Amazon and, and you know, illegal streaming of movies into your home, it's picking up. So the, the physical DVD, to me, the idea of renting it, it's just becoming more of a, not a hassle, just so 2010. Okay, so I got an email from Tony, and Tony says... Rob, I know I can roll over an education IRA to a 529, but that's going to cause a taxable situation for the gains achieved on the IRA. I understand taking distributions on IRAs typically create a taxable situation. Will this be the situation? And the answer is no. You're incorrect, Tony. Take the Coverdale IRA check that you get, cash it. So he has a Coverdale IRA. He wants to open up a 529 for his kid. So to close the Coverdale IRA, they're going to have to cut you a check. You're going to want to cash it, and you're going to – this is not like an employer-based retirement plan where you are converting assets. you got to cash the distribution, then make a deposit into the new account within the same calendar year. Sometimes you only have 30 days to do this, but this isn't that scenario. So you want to deposit the exact amount that was distributed from the Coverdale. Exact amount goes in the 529 plan. The IRS views the contribution in the 529 plan as qualified education expense, which makes the distribution from the Coverdale a qualified zero tax transaction. 529 plans are a great way to save money for your kid's college. And for those of you who make babies, I don't know if it's in your plan to pay for your kid's college or not. Your kid's college is going to be expensive, so you may not be able to pay for it all even if you want to. There's no shame in you know, pushing them to get their own educational scholarships. There's no shame in helping them get uh, athletic scholarships or grants or, or 
loans. There's no shame in it. A student loan is a wonderful thing to have coming out of school as long as you're able to service that debt. So as parents, I, I think it's important that you help them service that debt. Don't let them do it all on their own and don't let them fall behind on their debt because a 20-year-old who's got bad credit is really hurting himself for the next 5, 10, 15 years when they should be gaining traction on their friends and gaining traction on saving for retirement and getting down payments going for their home. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, and I know that. 529, greatest way to save money for college, uh, in my opinion. Greatest way to save money for college. But it's probably not going to cover all of your student, all of your student costs, so you're probably going to take on some loans. Just, just know that. Great website so that you can learn a little bit more about your college expenses um, and how to fund them and how to save for them and how to apply for scholarships, FAFSA scholarships, and more. Uh, is savingforcollege.com. It's the end-all, be-all, best website I've found so far for questions and issues on college funding. Now, the Green Bay Packers, two-and-a-half-point favorites to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in the Super Bowl, will do better than that, according to an investment manager. Coming up after the break, I'm going to tell you a little about who this investment manager is and why. Why he thinks this. It's important. He's got a track record, and he uses a model. Talk a little bit about models when we come back. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220. Dow's up four. NASDAQ up eight. SP up. Welcome back again. Uh, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for supporting the show. I do massively appreciate it. I feel blessed. I feel lucky. Um, I've bringing my years of work on Wall Street, on managing money, on working inside the industry. And I try to show you good people to work with. I try to show you people to avoid. I try to show you good strategies that work over time and some strategies that work in the short term and some strategies that don't work at all. I come to the table as honest and almost as naked as I can. Uh, And when I say naked, I'm talking, I lay it out on the line for you. And I have no shame. So hopefully if you listen, you get something out of it. I do some live seminars. I haven't done one in 14 months. Getting ready to do a couple. Basically, good chance for me to raise a little money for charity. I charge six bucks for them. If you don't want to pay the six bucks, you don't have to. I don't care. It's no stress off my back. It's just a good opportunity for me to get to meet the radio listener, and I love that. When I no longer have the ability to meet the radio listener, I'm out of this industry. I've just got no interest in continuing to do it. Um, there's other things for me to do. I've been here. I've done it. I've conquered it. I know you're saying, but you've got the greatest job on the planet. I know. Um, but it doesn't define me. So I will help you make money. I will help you get it to retirement. If you listen, I promise. So the Green Bay Packers, two and a half point favorites to beat the Steelers in the Super Bowl. Uh, one portfolio manager thinks they're going to do better than that. A study by analytic investors in Los Angeles they measure the profitability of bets on NFL teams to win each of their regular season games. The firm then has made Super Bowl predictions since 2005, and its models show that in each championship since 2004, bettors have underestimated the team with a lower regular season payout. This year, that's the Packers. Now, Green Bay, so they're basically making a play on the play that Vegas is making. Green Bay is favored to win the February 6th championship game in Arlington, Texas. The team's performance relative to bookmakers' odds was inferior to the Steelers during the regular season. 
bets on the Steelers to which to win games outright returned 29%, while the Packers returned 1.4% on the same bet. So the, the quote coming from the head of investment strategy at Analytic, he manages $7.3 billion, and he manages it in a quantitative style. He says, we believe the Packers will be able to cover the two-and-a-half-point spread. Betters overvalue teams in the playoffs depending on how well they did in the regular season. And it's nagless to investors assuming that a company that has consistently topped earnings expectations will continue to do so. That's what quants do. Quants look at companies' earnings. They look at their margins. They look at their sales. They don't know the name of the company. They don't have a clue in the world what the name of the company is. They're just looking at the numbers. It's a pretty neat idea. And it, it's a strategy that works okay. There's a guy named Lou. I want to say Lou Rukeyser, but that's not. Oh, Louis Navalier. Louis Navalier. He runs a quant fund. And uh, he was really good at it. And it really, really worked well in the 1990s. It really hasn't worked very well since then. When the economy was chugging and Wall Street was chugging, that tandem really helped Louis Navalier outperform the markets it was funny because i was interviewing him back in the mid to late 90s and i said louis navalier can i call you sweet louis sweet lou and he goes no next question i was like i think the interview's over the fact that he had no sense of humor i hung up on him and i was done with him uh but anyway there's my sweet lou uh, story so in each of the past seven super bowls the team with a less rewarding regular season performance has either upset the favorite team or covered the point spread. Last year, the Colts, who returned 39% during the regular season and were five and a half point Super Bowl favorites, lost to the Saints. So Haskin is back in the Packers on the strength of analytics. He says there is a sleeper scenario by which the Steelers might prevail. Of course, he has to cover his, you know, tushy here, right? Roethlisberger, the Steelers quarterback, suspended from the first four games of the regular season. So some of their data, not quite correct. So if you use the number for the Super Bowl, the Steelers would be a lower alpha team, a little bit more consistent. So it's interesting to watch how uh, professional money managers position their investments. So if you want to send me an email, rob at robblack.com. If you want to challenge me and... and uh, throw out a theory at me, that's great. If you want to call the show with a stock question, 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Let's take a quick look at the, the, the numbers on Wall Street. Again, alarming headline that sounds great. Unemployment drops to 9%, but the utilization rate, the number of people actually working didn't, didn't change a dime. So it's a number that changed percentage-wise based on population inside the United States. ABC's Christine Amanapour, she interviewed Mubarak. Uh, what's interesting to note about that from the investment standpoint is almost nothing. This whole Egypt thing to me revolves around uh, diplomacy for the next 30 years and the Suez Canal for the next 30 months. That's what I'm worried about. So Egyptian riots adding pressure on OPEC. Crude oil has exceeded $100 a barrel amidst political unrest in North Africa and the Middle East. Now, again, that doesn't mean all oil is that high. Texas crude, light sweet crude, or Texas crude, contracts running at $91. Bucks. Now, again, that's, that's too high, and we're going to pay more at the pump. If you and I pay more at the pump, what's that mean for us? It means we got less money. 
less money to fund our retirement, less money to to throw around, less money to get clothes. You get the basic idea. Less money to propel our economy. Energy stocks were mostly lower today after that jobs report because it wasn't encouraging. It wasn't exciting. Uh, Cisco, they're buying a company called Inlet. Cisco buys typically 20 to 30 companies a year, which is a lot. But they tend to buy small companies, privately held companies, companies where they're not getting bloat. They're not paying off salespeople. They're buying technology. So Cisco's buying a privately held digital media processing firm for $95 million in cash and retention-based services in exchange for all shares of the Raleigh-based company. Now, again, I don't know what this really means to me. Cisco's buying Inlet, privately held digital media processing firm. I'd have to do some work on that, right? You'd have to do some work on that to figure out uh, digital media processing. What's this? Where are they going with this? Good to try to figure out. I think that's the name of the game. So, some of the other big stories out there on Wall Street today, and there are plenty, um, are tied towards earnings reports. Where at the end of the quarter, end of the quarter basically implies, um, we're at the end of earnings season. I've kind of lost myself in my head this morning right now. End of earnings season is basically implying what's what's around the corner next. What's something we need to be focusing in on? Productivity, economic data, jobs, what have you. 800-516-1220. Let's go to Andy in Fremont. Andy? Yeah, ERX, correct? Okay, thanks for the call. Um the caller is asking about Direxian Energy Bull three times shares, and it's a play on the spike in oil. So the weird thing about it is if you take a look back all the way to 2008, it didn't play the spike on oil correctly. It didn't play our last super spike. It's playing this spike correctly. It tells me that there's something inefficient about it. I think you want to be careful. It, re- it gives you th- three times... of the price performance of the Russell 1000 Energy Index. The fund invests at least 80% of its shares in securities that comprise that index. It's going to also utilize financial instruments for leverage and giving you leverage exposure into the index. The annual expense ratio is at least 1%. There's a lot of turnover, which you're going to be paying for. Um, I don't see the performance, which to me, matches the energy over the last five years and over the last super energy spike when we had oil hit $150 a barrel. Short term, this thing's taken off. If you currently own it, your thought is the Middle East continues to go crazy. Your thought is the Middle East is unrest. And that should lead to higher prices in the short term. Now, in the midterm... Your play is World Economies Improving, ExxonMobil, Devon Energy, Anadarko, Chevron, uh, Schlumberger, ConocoPhillips, Occidental Petroleum. All of these should perform well if the world economies continue to improve, i.e. led by the United States. I don't like the leverage angle on it. I would rather you own some of those companies for the midterm. If you want to play the short term, that's the only way to pay, play leveraged 
ETFs. Large ETFs lose their power when you start factoring in costs. So in the short term, since October, this has gone from 40 to basically 75, 74. That's a huge return. There's a lot of leverage already working, giving you that triple result. But like I said, if you look back the last five years, it really hasn't done that. So you have to understand that this is a short-term tool, not a mid-term tool, not a long-term tool. It's the best I could do for you. Thanks for the call. It's Rob Black and your money. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Coming up, more on the Super Bowl and investing. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back. I'm Rob Black. My background is in money. My background is investing. My background is working with financial planners. And I want to share years and years of experience with you. So I do some seminars from time to time. I'm going to be doing one in February 26th, a Saturday, basically all day long. One's on money. One's on retirement. One's on wealth creation. One's on wealth preservation. So I'd love to see you out. And uh, you'll learn more about these events in the next two to three weeks. They're incredibly cheap and incredibly in- informal. And they're a lot like the radio show, but R-rated. Or how shall we say, the, uh, the bridle is out of my mouth. Is that the right word, bridle? How's that image of me being driven around like a horse? Not, not very attractive, eh? Anyway, uh, markets are dealing with Egypt today on one hand. And on the other hand, the markets are dealing with employment numbers that that headline looks great, but internally weren't great. Uh, but every other economic piece of data that we look at is pretty positive, including productivity. Uh, earnings, fantastic. Uh, I like what we're seeing. Aetna, they announced a big dividend, profit up 30%. Tough to dislike that, right? Dow's down slightly today. NASDAQ's up slightly today. S&P 500 down slightly today. Really, the markets are looking for direction. After a huge run-up, we're going to probably digest somewhat, and then we're going to decide now's the time to make our move. Is it going to be up? Is it going to be down? A lot of people have questions. Wall Street works in funny ways. There's a company called GameStop, which if you have an Xbox 360 or a PlayStation 2 or if you play video games on a PC, you know that there's, there's a lot of people download their video games now. And the actual going and getting the video games is it's losing a little bit of the business model. A lot like people are downloading movies on Comcast on demand. The whole idea of going to the store to get it, it's, it's losing a bit. So the video game retailer, GameStop, announced a $500 million share buyback, replacing a $300 million buyback that they announced in September. About $138 million remained on the prior plan, so they're upping it. It's nice to see. Given the preponderance of business viability concerns, we believe this should ultimately set a floor on the stock, in their opinion. This is a company that's struggling, though. I look at the value of it, and I love it. I look at the growth of it, and I don't like a thing that I see. I look at the competitive picture and I don't like it. But if you look at the valuation, stock ain't going below $18. And it could certainly trade 20 to 22 to 24 pretty easily. But I don't know if they're going to be in business in 10, 15, 20 years. It's not like they serve yummy burritos. Do you get why I said that? We need burritos. We need food in our belly. I don't know if we're going to need video games downloaded. I just, that doesn't, it's yet to remain seen. Canadian stocks slip today as the unemployment rate rises. You're not going to hear me talk about Canada very often other than the fact that they've got beautiful women, 
fantastic hockey and good beer. Not great beer, good beer. But Canadian stocks edged lower today after the government reported the nation's economy added more jobs than expected in January. But their unemployment rate climbed. So their unemployment rate sits at 7.8%. In the United States, ours sits at 9%. Now, the real rate of unemployment of people who are being forced to work part-time hours or who have fallen off and can't work at all and they're discouraged, we're more around 20% in the United States, 18 to 20%, depending on what state you're in and depending on how you believe the data. CNO, their shares are up 11% today. This is a tech company. Communication, networking, equipment, gear. Stock has gained 24% since January 1. I don't have any data on it. Maybe it's a play on Cisco doing another acquisition. Maybe it's their earnings. I I, I can't really tell you. So that's going to happen on occasion where sometimes you and I get stumped and you got to try to find out why. I mean, this job is a job where you're, you're almost Sherlock Holmes, which for the record, the BBC makes fantastic TV shows. I don't know if you've ever really experimented with the BBC. They make fantastic TV shows that don't have the budgets of American TV shows, and thus they could make up for it in clever writing and or clever production, which I think we've seen every story on the planet. So I want to see clever writing or clever production at this point in time. So let's see. CNS shares jumped 19%. Uh, oh, their third quarter view, well ahead of expectations at JDS Uniface. Hmm. See, isn't that interesting that it, it turns out a competitor is helping shares of Sienna, not necessarily Sienna. Remember I say four things move a stock. It's the sector. It's the stock market. It's the company themselves. And then it's how much visibility is there in their business model. So in this case, what we're talking about is the sector is strong. So that whole sector could do well. If that makes any sense. Again, unfortunately, these rules don't always 100% work. Usually, but not always. So you know what you got to do, ladies and gents, right? Consult a broker advisor for taking any action on any stocks mentioned during the show. Let's keep moving forward with content. Oh, bitter. I'm out of time. Live Nation acquires the largest ticketing company in Spain. They're the monopoly. They're the... The guy who has half the board covered in Monopoly of tickets, Live Nation is. It's Rob Black and your money. Coming up, we're going to review the markets. We're going to review the day's news. We're going to go into taxes and audits. I'm Rob Black, 1220 KDOW. Hour two. Rob Black and your money. Talking all things financial. Talking what's working on Wall Street and why on a day-by-day basis. Well, I'm having some problems with my microphone today, getting the levels just right so everyone's happy. Don't want to blow you out, but also want to make sure that uh, I'm not being overmodulated so I sound like a chipmunk. Anyway, <laughs> that's what we deal with here on a regular basis. Uh, hold on there. That might be a little bit better. Okay, let's take a look at uh, the big, the big Wall Street. First and foremost, we've got a lot going on today. Economic data is going on with employment. We've got political risk, which is high with Egypt. We want the Suez Canal to let oil flow freely. We want 30 years of good diplomacy in Egypt. Short term, we're not worried. Long term, 
we used to be friends with Iran. We had the Shah of Iran. He got deposed. He got kicked out. And the next 30 years, the political tensions have done nothing but rise with Iran. So you can see what we're looking at. So the Dow and the NASDAQ both lower this morning. Some of the big stories out there is unemployment. The unemployment rate dropped. And it's bogus. So the unemployment rate went from 9.6%, 9.4%, down to 9%. Non-farm payrolls dropped to 36,000 added jobs. People were looking for about 125,000 added jobs. Hourly earnings dropped four-tenths of a percent. Average work week dropped from 34.3 down to 34.2 hours per week. Inclement weather conditions and annual population adjustments combined to cause confusion. So the headline may get you more juiced than you want to be. The Bureau of Labor Statistics, 886,000 workers in January were unable to work due to bad weather. 469,000 more than the average for January. A lot of those workers were not accounted for in the establishment survey, and that causes a negative bias in the January payroll datas. So the annual benchmark revisions that caused substantial decline in the size of the 2011 labor force skewed the unemployment rate. So the labor force participation rate between January and December was the same, and there's no real difference in the unemployment situation between the two months. So that's a tough thing to explain, but the statistics are misleading, to say the least. That's what we got. You know, I can get into some of the other issues like government jobs. I don't know if that's something that you're interested in. Government jobs, we lost 14,000 in the month of January. Leisure jobs and hospitality jobs, we lost 3,000. In the healthcare world, we added 13,000. In temporary help, we dropped 11,000. Temporary help tends to say, hey, why don't you hire me next month and turn me from temporary to regular? So that's not good. The financial markets lost 10,000 jobs. Retailers added 28,000. Manufacturing added 49,000. Construction lost 32,000. So there's a way to get a little bit more data out of this if you're really interested. I don't know if I want to bore you at times with that much data. So um, airlines are big in the news, right? You keep hearing about another snowstorm is headed to the East Coast. Airline stocks declined today. The sector benchmark is posting its fourth week in a row of declines. Now, anytime there's that kind of losing streak, I become interested. You're able to buy stocks of companies that have underperformed, thus taking some of the risk out. Now, you're also buying a loser, thus adding to the risk. It's the fourth straight week of decline. Higher energy prices, the main culprit. It's not the frozen weather of the tundra of the East Coast. It's not. So U.S. Airways down 2.6%. The whole ARCA airline index, ticker symbol XAL, down 1%. JetBlue down 1.7%. It's all because crude's been trading higher. All because of the Middle East. Now, if you think the Middle East is going to calm down, well, it's not the only reason crude's been trading higher because world economies are doing well. But that's the one-two combination. So let's keep this up a little bit, this conversation. American Airlines said today that their total January traffic rose 2% to 9.87 billion revenue passengers. 
miles from 9.68 billion. So 9.6 to 9.8 on a year over year basis. A revenue passenger mile is equal to about one passenger flown one mile. So total January capacity rose 2.5% to 13 billion available seat miles from a year ago. The load factor or the percentage of available seats on the plane in January fell from 76% down to 75%. Okay, so one more factoid story idea. We got oil causing the airlines to sell off for four straight weeks. We got American Airlines basically saying we're doing pretty darn reasonably well on a year-over-year basis. And then we get the East Coast weather. Now, the East Coast weather, flight cancellations this week approached 20,000. How many people is that? How many people do you think have been stranded with severe weather? About 800,000. This is the year that has not been good to fly to the East Coast if you needed to get back to the West Coast. And what that means is some of these people are going to be dipping into their wallets, their credit cards, and they're going to be spending money right now. And that will boost the economy. The downside about it is they're tapping into their savings. They're tapping into the future Christmas. They're making their their vacations last longer now versus later. Total cancellation of flights, about 19,841 for American, for Eagle, for American uh, United. They saw combined 4,900 cancellations. Southwest, they canceled 2,200 flights. So it's not just the big airlines. It's the small ones as well. And again, it's just how do you want to play this? Do you think the airline's going to go down 10 straight weeks or 20 straight weeks? Earlier this week, here's the fourth story I can give you on the airlines. They're raising their fares. If you've booked a flight recently, it's painful. Rocky Balboa. Clubber Lang, what do you predict for your fight with Rocky Balboa? Pain. That's If you book a flight right now, it's painful. Tech stocks kind of got a little juice this morning after JDS Uniface was up 18%. Stronger profit, great book to bill, great book to bill. Now, JDS Uniface makes a lot of the gear that makes the internet go faster, makes your videos go faster. So that's not going away anytime soon. Apple's selling out of the iPhone for Verizon because we want the video to go faster. Energy stocks are lower today after the jobs report. What else can I tell you? Clorox. I know you're saying, can I invest in Clorox? You can. They said their profit fell to about $21 million or $0.15 cents a share, down from last year's $110 million or $0.77 cents a share. Clorox booked a $258 million impairment for the impact of goodwill in the latest quarter. They reported a loss of $163 million on continuing operations, $177 million gain on the sale of an auto business. So breaking out the goodwill and breaking out some of their other businesses, Clorox isn't just Clorox. And their earnings on first blush look worse than expected. Do you see where I'm trying to go with this? It's that sometimes earnings reports are a little tougher to analyze than you would think. When I first saw that their numbers were $21 million versus last year's $110 million, I was like, that's awful. That's just downright awful. So when push comes to shove, when you start breaking it down, you're starting to get that it was a special quarter and that some of those issues that hit them may or may not last into the future. It's one time. Do you see? 
that could be your investment opportunity. To get your calls in there, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. You're listening to Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Don't be shy. 800-516-1220. It's KDOW 1220. I'm Rob Black. I'll start working on some new music for the show, Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Thanks, KDOW1220, for letting me jump on your airwaves. I dig it. I dig the audience getting what I'm trying to do and what I'm trying to push as far as getting you to retirement. I'm a little different of a financial show. Nothing up my sleeves. It used to be something up my sleeves, but I shaved it off, and it's fine now. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Interesting day. If you take a look at the action, not so interesting if you take a look at the week. Uh, the Dow down 15, the NASDAQ down 1, the S&P 500 down 2. Egyptians are gathering for a day of departure to force Mubarak out. They're pouring into Tahir Square before Friday's prayers, raising the prospect of an escalation in violence. Protesters are angered by a government crackdown, rejecting overtures from the president who's Mubarak. So it's, it's tough out there. The economic data in the United States is good. So, but Egypt's got the Suez Canal and oil from Saudi Arabia flows through the Suez Canal. We also want Egypt to stay normalized with diplomatic relationships that are something similar to what they are now with the United States. They've been our friends. Now, some people say it's time for the United States to grow up and stop being the, the world's policeman. Some people say, hey, if it wasn't for us, things would be a lot more calamitous around the world. Now... Verizon has halted the iPhone pre-sales after their best first day. That's interesting to note. I see I, we got a phone call from Karen in Oakland. Karen? Hi. Okay. Thanks for the call, Karen. Um, I'll talk a little bit about electronic arts. Karen from Oakland wanted to know about electronic arts. Electronic Arts is a video game company. Electronic Arts is a company that makes things along the lines of Madden football. And it's consumed for the Sony PlayStation 2, for the Xbox 360, for the PC. They make video games for sure. She said she's owned it since 2000. She's owned it a long time, right? So first and foremost, it hasn't exactly been a massive winner since 2000. It's had fits and it's had starts. It's had ups and it's had downs. So in 2000, it was roughly about a $20 stock. And then it roared until 2005 up to about 60. And from 2005 to 2011, it's gone from 60 down to about 15 to 20 range. So it's now starting to move again higher. If you go back to 90, 90 to 95, big win. It goes from about a dollar to $5. 95 to 2000 up to about 21. So every five-year period, it's done great, except for 2005 to 2011, which is half the time she's owned it. Otherwise, she's about halfway. She's neutral, and the company doesn't pay a big dividend. So that's got to be a little bit on the frustrating side. It's got a $6 billion market cap. Down the road, I think Electronic Arts gets acquired by Microsoft, by Sony, by CBS, by someone who wants to integrate more media into one area, one house, one one business model. Let's see if I can't pull up some specifics on their quarter for you. Give me just a second. 
February 4th is today. So on February 3rd, they were one of the big losers today. They attracted attention with their quarter on their bottom line beat and their share repurchase plan. We like the share repurchase plans here. Stock hit an eight-month high. So you can't expect it to hit uh, eight-and-a-half-month high, nine-month high, ten-month high. It kind of gained yesterday with the semiconductors, or I'm sorry, with the tech stocks. It's interesting. Yesterday, loser. Today, winner. Or the day before that, winner. They posted upside earnings surprise. They added to their repurchase plan. I'm trying to see if any analysts have any commentary on it. One analyst, Piper Jaffray, gives it an overweight following the earnings. Not a lot said there. Not a lot in that upgrade at all. Posted, uh, they posted a solid quarter in line. There were some fears of a miss. There is some weird issues that Electronic Arts has Medal of Honor and Activision has Call of Duty. And in the world of kids, Call of Duty beats Medal of Honor. Now, they also have Need for Speed, which had been a strong franchise, then it became a weak franchise, and now it's becoming a strong franchise again. They showed great digital revenues. Basically, people are downloading straight from them, and that gives them more money uh, because they're not having to pay the retailer, or the retailer's not having to mark it up. They're able to sell for full price. Some analysts are lowering numbers slightly for 2011. There's an issue on They've got a big Star Wars title that's due out in 2011, and the NFL could go on strike, and that would hurt their John Madden franchise, which typically sells you know millions and millions of units. The stock buyback's going to help. Analysts are trimming expectations. Oh, boy. This one's a tough one to throw down a number on. Give me just a second. I want to see if there's... Uh, I'm trying to find out if they've got any other titles that are shipping... See if there's anything. It seems like the Star Wars The Old Republic is going to be third quarter, which is third quarter of this year for them, which is technically fourth quarter 2011. So you may be in a little bit of a wait and see type of mode. I wouldn't let it be too much of your portfolio. Give me just a second. Valuation. I got to pull up some magic numbers here because uh, it's tough to read. It looks pretty cheap on a price-to-sales ratio. On a P.E. ratio, it looks pretty expensive. Uh, to me, it feels like there's more upside of about two to three points. But again, it's really, really looking like an acquisition candidate and or a wait-till-the-end-of-the-year candidate to see if they're able to get their games out on time. Or you could just pay attention to a couple of trade shows that between now and then to see, Karen, if they are delivering the product on time and how it's going. I know, video games, right? It's a multi-billion dollar business. Thanks for the call, Karen. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in there. It's 800-516-1220. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Don't be shy with the calls. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back with more on money and investing in taxes. Welcome back in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Trying to dig up information during every commercial break to help get you a little further ahead. And I think I can do it. Uh, Dow's down slightly, NASDAQ up a little bit, SP 500 down one. I probably could stop doing that, right? I don't think you need to hear anything else about the markets today. It's, it's kind of been a push of a week. It hasn't been a big winner. It hasn't been a big loser. So let's talk a little bit about not getting audited. Auditing is a fearful thing when you see that letter from the IRS. You want to choose your tax return preparer with care. 
basically 60% of individuals and an even greater percentage of businesses use paid preparers to do their income taxes. Yet preparers now face more intense IRS review. If the IRS believes a preparer is claiming unwarranted deductions or taking fraudulent steps on clients' returns, the preparer's clients are at risk. So the IRS has eight tips for choosing a tax preparer. Key amongst them is to check his history to see if there's been any disciplinary action. Pretty interesting, huh? Now, you can check with the IRS Office of Professional Responsibility at OPR at irs.gov. You want to include the preparer's name and address. Now, you want to report all your income. You want to not get audited? All your W-2s and 1099s go into that report. Period. Don't play games. You want to provide complete information to the IRS. All questions should be answered and required information should be included. Stop not filling out your freaking fracking forms. Avoid claiming deductions that are red flags. Now, this advice is easy to give, but I know you're like, which ones are red flags? So statistics basically show that like sole proprietors, they need to show the types of deductions relative to the amount of revenue. Some tax professionals believe that, you know, taking more than the average can raise an IRS eyebrow. A business that's entitled to deductions, even if they're high relative to the amount of their income, should claim them, but be prepared to prove entitlement of your deductions. Don't file certain forms or schedules. For instance, some optional forms and schedules virtually guarantee an audit. If you turn a hobby into a sideline or a show business loan, the IRS may question whether some of your deductions are legitimate. So Form 5213 you're going to have to show that your business has been around for at least five years if it's, a, if it's a hobby that's turned into a business. Better way of doing it is if you have loss years, be prepared to prove that you're operating activity with a profit motive. Pay attention to your details. I think that's the biggest thing that I could throw out there at you. And watch your state tax return. The IRS has information sharing agreements with states. So if you're audited at the state level and you owe additional taxes because of omitting income for other reasons, this is going to be shared with the IRS. The IRS is going to contact you for additional tax payment. Exactly the same. So know that it's coming. Um, hmm. 2010 was a pretty good year all around for the stock market. And per usual, it's... Some sectors were better than others. The latter is particularly true in the case of small caps, transports, and retailers. There was a lot of outperformance in that group. And that brings up the question of how we're going to do this year. Now, there were some counter cyclicals like telecom, which was down 3.8%, consumer staples down 1.8%, healthcare up four tenths of a percent. Utility is up 1.1%. They massively underperformed the market last year. So the question, are they at the juncture now that you want to go from laggards to leaders? And do you think leaders go from leaders to laggards in 2010 to 2011? So far this year, small caps have underperformed. The transports have underperformed and the retailers have underperformed. The S&P 500 has been a winner. So not all of last year's laggards are going to go into leaders, and not all last year's leaders are going to go into laggards. 
But Wall Street does play that game more often than not. Remember last year, there was the Gulf of Mexico scenario? During the months that followed the Gulf of Mexico oil spill disaster, professional investors had the opportunity to buy BP bonds at incredibly low rates and BP shares at incredibly low valuations. BP bonds were valued with a cream of the crop of corporate bonds uh, up until the point of the spill. So at that time, you know, do you catch a falling knife or not? No one ever knows when a company's in trouble. When does it stop? So Citigroup's got a 10-year note that yields 5%. GE's got a a note that yields 4.5%. Now, each of those have some surprises lurking on their balance sheets, no doubt about it, but not as much as BP did. So the BP bonds didn't really pay off jumping in and trying to get them, but the BP stock sure as heck did. If you were able to have the cojones and the guts in order to buy it, it dipped to $28 a share. It's now at $46 a share. So that's a stunning return. Now, it had gone from 60 to 28, 28 to 46, and still slowly but surely moving higher. So bad news creates bullish opportunities. Not always, but it can. That's something you have to look for as an investor. Let's see. Let's get a question in from Austin in San Jose. Austin? Looks like no call. I'm yeah, these calls when I do the show from a remote, they just don't tend to work as well. So let's say no calls. Move forward. Super Bowl amongst the top five pizza days. Now, if you can invest in pizza, you're going to have a peak peak performance on dough, dough re me, across the country. Uh, turns out Super Bowls are the top five pizza days of the year. Do you know the other four are? And they're kind of surprising. Halloween. The day before Thanksgiving, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Now, New Year's Day makes a lot of sense, and New Year's Eve makes a lot of sense, but Halloween and Thanksgiving didn't really hit me as that's quite right, but it is. So Papa John's chain has obviously got a lot of flower power here, and they expect to sell a million pizzas when the Steelers meet the Packers on February 6th. It's going to be their biggest day of the year. Now, listen to this. Papa John's has 3,200 restaurant chains. They're shipping over 2 million pounds of cheese to its 10 distribution centers, along with 350,000 pounds of pepperoni, 10, 2 million pounds of cheese. So there's a little company called Manhattan Associates, publicly traded. They basically do the logistics on this. Now, do you know what's happened on the, the, the middle part of America this year? Do you? Right now, there are, it's all the roads are shut down. If you got a package coming from UPS in Chicago... It's sitting in Chicago. It ain't going to be here anytime soon. So 300,000. It'll be interesting to see if Papa John's is able to pull this all off with the big storms that have hit. You know, why does pizza get such a big slice of the Super Bowl snack? It's party food. It's communal food. It's inexpensive. Everyone loves it. It's easy to have it delivered. So... Pizzerias see an increase of about 35% when the NFC and the AFC battle it out on the Super Bowl. And recent years have been a shift towards 
trendier toppings like sun-dried tomatoes and avocados, but give me the pepperoni and sausage. Those are the ones that I love uh, on days like this. So Domino's is going to deliver over 9 million slices of pizza. Now, for sit-down restaurants, it ain't so super. Diners want to be glued to their seats. They want to watch the commercials. So eat-in pizza parlors tend to struggle enormously um, on that day. It's, it's interesting, though, because if you go to the malls on Super Bowl Sunday, they're packed. It's honestly, people are doing one of two things. They're watching the football and or they're, they're out shopping. And the big question is for a lot of people is the Super Bowl commercials, are they worth the $3 million that it costs to get a Super Bowl commercial? And statistics have shown, believe it or not, they're actually worth it, that the rate of return is pretty good. So according to experts who weighed in the staggering cost on the attention of a commercial, it's likely to gain the attention of of just obviously millions. Close to 50% of viewers actually tune in and actually watch the commercials when for the rest of the year we try to avoid the commercials. Biggest football game of the year scheduled, obviously, Super Bowl. Fox Network's ad rates break down to about $100 thousand dollars a second wow that ain't cheap but 106.5 million fans tune into the super bowl now you get 100 million viewers and the media is going to continue to keep talking about the ads before and after number of people tuning in the game keeps climbing year over year so that upward trend uh is nice back in 1967 27 million people watched the super bowl as the packers crushed the kansas city chiefs now it's 106.5 million Americans. So how effective are the Super Bowl ads? Snickers would have to sell 6.3 million candy bars to pay for a $3 million ad. Bridgestone would have to sell 298,000 tires. Skechers would have to sell 205,000 pairs of shoes. Coming up, more on Wall Street investing. Egypt, your portfolios, the markets. And we'll wrap up a little on the Super Bowl as well. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. KDOW, 1220 AM. Welcome back in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Rob Black and your money talking all things financial. Uh, 1220 KDOW. It's Friday. We got the Super Bowl right around the corner. Um, good golly. Uh, paying a lot of attention to the Super Bowl. Costco drops Coke products in showdown over prices. It's interesting to note that Coke and Pepsi sometimes fight with each other. And it, what you don't know is how powerful these guys are at scenarios like Costco, at scenarios like 7 Elevens and your local retail chains. A friend of mine on the East Coast 10 years ago came up with a beautiful drink. Um, he was African-American, black. What's the right phrase of the day? I don't know. But he came up with a drink concept called African Sunshine. And it was going to be a juice-soda kind of combination. And he was going to target African-Americans. And what he found was the product testing was right. The demand was high. The curiosity level and the, the bottling was perfect, but he couldn't figure out how to break into the mom and pop. In large part, every time he'd go to a local chain and say, hey, can you put us in uh, 
your refrigerators that go, no, Coca-Cola owns that refrigerator and they'll take it away from us. Or Coca-Cola gave us that refrigerator and they said that they want to see all of our products highlighted there. And we don't really want to mess with Coca-Cola. Interesting, right? And then you see things like Pepsi where they own the Doritos and all the snack foods, the chips in that 7-Eleven. And the 7-Eleven ain't going to put African sunshine on the shelves if it's going to upset Pepsi. Especially since Pepsi can give them a discount and say, you know, let's sell these bag of chips for a buck fifty instead of a buck sixty, and you can sell them for whatever you want. We recommend you sell them for three bucks. So you just save ten to ten cents per bag. Uh, African Sunshine Maker can't pull that off. Does that make sense on why companies like PepsiCo and Coca Cola are great long term investments? Because the competition really can't break into it. Now, they, they don't always hit it right. They, you know, sometimes they buy water companies and juice companies. Sometimes they've got risk to currencies. But their dominant position, it's still pretty darn dominant. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. The housing bust in the Bay Area, it doesn't extend to private islands. I just saw this. If we got a, a, a model that wants to live with me on an island, we could do it right here in the Bay Area. And it doesn't have to be a model. Just someone who loves me for who I am, right? The last patch of privately owned real estate in San Francisco. There's a big island in the middle of the Bay. According to real estate website Zillow, it's called Red Rock Island. It's 5.7 acres, and it's slightly in front of Angel Island. Now, rumors have circulated since the 18th century, and for the record, $22 million. So you come up with $22 million, and I'll give you head rubs on, on Red Rock Island, and I'll feed you grapes. Or you can feed me grapes. I don't care. Either way, it sounds like a pretty good deal. So Red Rock has a long history. of There used to be rumors that 18th century pirates buried gold there. Pretty cool, huh? For, it's only 5.7 acres, and it's $22 million. The price has been going up even though it's been on the market since 2007. Now, you're not allowed to build a house there. You do get the mineral rights. So that kind of stinks because it's cold on the bay. I mean, if you can't build a house, who wants it? So San Francisco attorney David Glickman bought the island for $50,000. He wanted to put a hotel and casino there in the 1960s, but the nearby city of Richmond blocked the project. Ooh. So Red Rock in 1970... There was a full-time occupant on the island called Salim Woodworth. He built a house there, or a house was built there in 1851. Government claimed ownership of the land after that, basically relinquishing the rights in the 20th century. So the last person that really lived there was 1851. Pirates buried treasure there. Again, how come pirates don't like have duffel bags? Or Every time you see pirates in television and movies... They always got these gold chests that are like all their booty, all their gold and their, their pearl necklaces are all like flowing out of the, the, the treasure chests. If I were a pirate, I'd invest in, in more storage because you don't want to lose that stuff. Glickman, a San Francisco attorney who bought the island for $50,000 in the 1960s, he was a Thai-based gym dealer. He'd just been trying to unload the island for years. He was shopping around for $10 million in 2007 and now he's shopping around for Twenty-two million dollars. 
not too shabby. The eight-figure asking price would be just the first hurdle. Like I said, California's counties kind of converge on the island, and they all kind of want to zone and, and decide on who's building and who's not building. So I don't know. Do we want to live on an island for $22 million, a 5.7-acre rock? Probably not. Probably not is my opinion. I'm going to officially veto that and say, bad idea, Rob. Bad idea. Um, here's something that's interesting to end the show with today is it's refiners. If you take a look at refiner stocks, they've been awful. Awful in the last five years. But in the last year, they've been running higher. And I'm starting to get some research about the crack spread, which shows what refiners can earn by turning crude oil into gasoline and heating oil. And you have to use a three to two to one ratio of future prices. So it's not the easiest thing to, to, to teach. But ultimately, this, it looks like you've got another year of the cycle up higher for the refiners to make a lot of money. Another year, year and a half. So the names are like Holly Corporation, Sunoco, Tesoro, and Valero. Do your own work. Do your own research. But I thought I'd bring that to your attention. Take care. Have a good day. Thanks so much for listening. Find me at Facebook group page, I Hate Rob Black. Two seminars coming at the end of February, February 26th, Saturday in Santa Clara at the Tech Mart. You'll hear more about those next week. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. KDOW 1220. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.